Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. It's Full Court Press with Fanton Fisher on this Tuesday, November the 10th. 2020 as we take 15 days away from the start of what is going to be an unprecedented 2020-21 college basketball campaign. I'm John Fanta, joined by my partner Jenny Fisher. And Jenny, you know, if you ask me, does it feel like we're just two weeks away from the season? I, I think I would probably say not really. I mean, it feels very weird to think that way because of how much is still coming together. I think I could speak for the players, coaches, us who, who love the sport, media, you name it. You know, college basketball, you could argue out of all sports, has been impacted more by this pandemic than any sport because their best time of year got cut off, totally just stopped, and, and it was a, a sudden stop. It wasn't like it was expected. And now you enter into this year, which has been delayed a couple of weeks and that, that we knew about, and we expected that. But now you've got, you know, that this virus is not going away. Tom Izzo, just the latest to contract it, and we wish him the best and send our thoughts and prayers to East Lansing. But it just goes to show you, that, like when I think about sports and the fact that we have had college football and we have had MLB and NFL and NBA, uh, it, it does say something to me about the effects that this has had on the sport of college basketball, and just the, the hunger for a season, you can really feel it. Well, and you said it, John, how you did last season, especially in my perspective, doesn't determine how these teams will be. And I know it sounds like coach speak, but particularly with the global pandemic chunked in the middle of last season and this upcoming year, it's hard to say anyone stayed the same, obviously preseason polls being released, but it's also strange in a year of no scrimmages or exhibition matchups. Um, and I think a lot of people are putting more stock into, you know, experiences of coaches and players on their rosters. And you mentioned um, college football being ravaged by, by COVID-19 as well. I just think that's going to be something that we can't ignore heading into this college basketball season. And I would also add that depth may be more important than ever this college basketball season if COVID affects rosters the way that we think it could. Coming up on today's show, we will take a deep dive on college hoops with a season preview interview with ESPN insider Jeff Borzello. Plus, Jenny and I will release our top tens, both on the men's and women's sides. Now, the AP released the top 25 on the men's side on Monday. The women's is to come uh, later today, Tuesday, as we record. But on the men's side, we're going to release our, our top tens. How about Gonzaga? Mark Few's team, now Philip Petrusev went pro, and, and that was something that people were monitoring over the offseason. But you think about what they have coming back. Joel Ayai, who is just fantastic. Corey Kispert. So you have those two back as starters. And then Drew Timmy seems like he's ready to take that role that Petrusev filled. But I'll tell you what, 
how about Gonzaga year in and year out? And you just feel like Jenny Fisher that at, at some point, you know, the Zags have been so close so many times that it's one of those teams that you point to and you say, man, are they due for a national championship type season or what? People argue that they may not be able to be considered a mid-major anymore with the amount of success oh, that they've had. Uh, they finished not a mid-major in my mind. Yeah. Exactly. And you finish, they finished the 2020 season ranked number two in the AP poll. They spent four weeks at number one and they edged Baylor by a single vote in the national media panel of voters for this year's preseason AP poll. And what I love in, in this aspect as well is Mark Few is a win away from 600. They start the season against Kansas on Thanksgiving Day. I just think it's, it's a lot of excitement and buzz around that program that's very well due. Yeah, how about that? Gonzaga and Kansas, and I'm not just saying this as a guy who calls some games for Fox, but Thanksgiving Day, it's a 1.30 start Eastern time on Fox. Gonzaga and Kansas leading into the Cowboys in Washington. Now, we know how, how things have gone for both those teams. The point being, that's a big slot on Thanksgiving Day for the sport of college basketball and for Gonzaga taking on a, a, a Kansas team that you know, loses Devon Dotson and Yudoka Azubuki. That's one of the, I mean, if you're asking me for a game in the first 48 hours of the season, I'm, I'm really curious to see. It's, it's what we see from Garrett and the Jayhawks going up against Gonzaga. And does it get any better than Thanksgiving food and college basketball? I mean, I, I don't think it gets any better. I, I will be eating stuffing, plenty of stuffing on that day on the couch watching college basketball. Uh, same with the day prior, of course, opening day, but still, I think it's, it's only right. We would advise that if you watch parts of the Cowboys-Washington game, that you watch parts of the game before you sit down and eat. We would advise that you don't watch the NFC East after eating your food. <laughs> I think that's some great advice, John. Very well said. Yeah, so, and then the other storyline here in the top 25 before we get to Jeff, the Big Ten has seven teams ranked in the top 25. Uh, Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, all in the top 10. Michigan State. And then on the back end, of course, the league just racks up three teams to round out the top 25. You've got Rutgers, Ohio State, Michigan. I think Ohio State's ranked just ahead of Rutgers. How about Rutgers? We had Steve Pike on the show. Jenny, it's the first time they're ranked in the preseason since 1978. It's an impressive, impressive feat. And I would just say, too, it's Iowa's highest ranking um, in a preseason poll ever. And it's yep. something where the Big Ten, obviously, is consistently one of the top basketball leagues in the country. Um, I feel great for Rutgers and Rutgers fans. I think I feel even better for Illinois fans in this instance that they are ranked so highly. Um, but I would say also that my eyes are on Wisconsin, um, a team that won eight straight at the yeah. end of last season. Uh, shared the regular season Big Ten title. And so there's just a lot to be looking at in the Big Ten. But yes, I am happy for Rutgers in this situation. Wisconsin returns all five starters from last year. Uh, they're starting backcourt, all double-digit per game scores. And what changed for them at the end of last year, you say they won eighth straight, they shot the three really well. They were shooting well over 40% from three. The question always with Greg Gard's team is, how are they going to get to 60? Because they can hold you to 59. I mean, they can hold you even under that. So that's the thing. That's, that's why, to me, actually, Wisconsin and Virginia in particular 
we always think of Virginia basketball and we say, oh, it's a really rough watch. Well, I can tell you, and you know this, Sam Hauser's not a rough watch offensively. And a, yeah, for a defensively de designed program, basically, to add in a three-point threat such as Sam Hauser, who obviously sat out the past season after transferring from Marquette, he shoots over 44% from three. And so, again, just can inject something into that offense that you don't always get to see. And that people, like you said, maybe, maybe say it's, it's not the type of basketball that they're looking for, but that's what they'll get out of Sam Hauser at Virginia. Well, enough of us. Let's, let's head to the ESPN insider, Jeff Borzello. We go across the country with a season outlook. It is great to be joined by ESPN College Basketball Insider, Jeff Borzello. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Borzello over at ESPN.com all throughout the year covering college basketball. And Jeff, two weeks away from the season, we were just talking about in our intro how it feels weird saying that because of all the moving pieces of this puzzle. But one of the pieces is the AP preseason poll. And, and look, does it mean a whole lot when the ball gets tipped off? No, but it creates a lot of discussion. And the the phrase, Jeff, that I keep hearing is, well, Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, you can flip a coin uh, because any of those three could be number one. But Gonzaga is number one. That's what the voters ended up deciding on. What do you think could make Gonzaga the best team in the country? Well, first, thanks for having me on. And second, you're right, it is weird to say that it's only two weeks away. And I, we hope it's, it's only two weeks away, I guess. But in terms of Gonzaga, you know, I do agree with you that there's kind of that clear-cut top three teams, um, you know, that are the headliners of college basketball. But Gonzaga, A, you know, they're pretty much guaranteed to win probably 25 of their 27 or 28 games this year. They're not going to lose, you know, if, if at all, in West Coast Conference play. Obviously, they have a difficult non-conference schedule, so they're going to be able to rack up wins. They bring back a lot. You know, Corey Kispert is probably the best player in the league. They did lose, I think, three starters, Philippe. Um, Petrushev left pretty late in the process, but they have Drew Timmy, who he came off the bench last year, but every time he, he had an extended run on the court, he was productive. And, and I think a lot of people are pegging him as a breakout candidate. But to me, the key is going to be Jalen Suggs. Um, you know, maybe the second best freshman guard entering college basketball, but he's going to have the keys to the show from day one. Uh, best freshman, best recruit Gonzaga's ever had. Probably a lottery pick, a one-and-done lottery pick. You know, if he lives up to expectations and, and, and he plays how he did at the high school level, um, you know, they're as well-suited as anybody to win it. it but, it, you know, it's an adjustment for freshmen in college basketball. But I think he's a stud. And I, I think, you know, my expectations for him is he's going to come in and be one of the, the best freshmen in the country. And if that happens, Gonzaga is going to be a title contender. Who do you have at number one in your list? Yeah, I have Baylor. I had Gonzaga, and then, like I said, when, when Petrushev left, uh, decided to, to go to Europe instead of come back to Gonzaga, I dropped him down uh, to number three behind Villanova at, at two. Baylor, I just, you know, they bring back most of their team from last year, you know, probably the second or third best defensive team in the country, you know, elite guards, elite experience. Jared Butler is, um, you know, maybe the best player in the Big 12. I, I just think that, you know, what they did last year that led them to be a top two, top three team throughout the season. They bring pretty much all of that back. They bring a couple of, of good freshmen, a couple of good newcomers. And, and Scott Drew, you know, maybe a decade ago, everyone was kind of making jokes that all he did was stockpile talent. But he's doing it a completely different way. I mean, he's going and getting kind of under-recruited guys, guys that fit his system. Um, so it's, it's a change from, from a decade ago. And I think he's a hell of a coach. And, and um, what he did last year with that team was impressive. So I just think they can do it again. And, and 
it's weird to say, but Kansas is not the Big 12 favorite. It's, it's Baylor, and, and it's probably the first time we could say that in almost 20 years, which is kind of crazy. So um, they're my number one team. I think they enter, they should enter the season, in my, my opinion, as the favorite. Did anything surprise you with the top 25 ball? I think Kentucky was kind of low. Um, you know, it's obviously maybe, maybe I'm, I'm swayed by, by Big Blue Nation on Twitter, but I just think man, they got a ton of talent, man. Like, you know, when Olivier Saar got, got cleared to play right away, like that gave them to me what, what they were missing. You know, they were going to rely on probably uh, Isaiah Jackson at the five spot going into the year. Now, instead of that, you're throwing an all ACC big man who's played in, you know, 100 college games. Uh, at the center spot. To me, it's, it's an enormous upgrade. And the consensus was kind of they were a top 12, top 15 team without him. And now with him in the fold, I moved them up to number five. Um, you know, I think you go down the list position by position and, and they can match up with anybody in the country. Now, the question is, are voters saying this is how they're going to start the season or how we're going to finish the season? To me, I think you have to, to throw potential into it a little bit, especially in a season like this where, you know, late start to, to the preseason, no summer. Um, I think you kind of have to project a little bit as to what a team is going to look like in March. And, you know, Calipari always gets his teams playing the best in January, February, March. And I just think the season is going to be no different for them. And, and, you know, like I said, they're loaded with talent, just five stars across the board. Now they've sar down low. Um, and, and if there's one coach who's going to be able to take kind of all these newcomers and mesh them into a, a cohesive unit by the NCAA tournament, it's Cal. Just outside of the poll, you've got teams like LSU, Memphis, Florida receiving votes. Which of those teams just outside of the poll are you buying stock in this season? I think it's LSU. I had LSU and Florida in my top 25. Uh, I think the AP had Rutgers and Michigan uh, instead of me. But to me, LSU, I mean, you know, they were an NCAA tournament team last year. They won the SEC two years ago. Um, they bring back a lot of pieces from those teams. Javante Smart played on those teams. Darius Days. Trenton Wofford was, was on the team last year. He might be the, the best player in the SEC this year. And then they bring in freshman Cam Thomas, who I think might have been maybe the, the best scorer in, in the 2020 high school class. And, you know, say what you want about Will Wade. You know, he's been in the headlines for, for you know, reasons you don't want to be in the headlines for. But in terms of, of wins and success, he's done it at every spot. Um, I, I just think that they're the talent-wise, they can, can compete with, you know, pretty much anyone outside the top 10. So, uh, you know, again, this, is, this might be a team that, that takes a couple of weeks to get it together, but I, I just think that talent-wise and, and the, the track record of Will Wade, I think it should, you know, get them into the top 25, get them into a, um, you know, top four, top five spot in the SEC. Top four, top five spot in the SEC for LSU. And, Jeff, in the SEC, you talk about Kentucky. Uh, I would assume you've got them if you were picking the SEC as the top team. But after Kentucky, you wrote this, you said you're higher on Tennessee than most. Why? Yeah. So, I mean, honestly, like earlier in the off season, I was the highest I think of anybody on Tennessee and Oregon as the kind of the off season progressed and, and group think kind of sank in. Everyone seemed to, to kind of coalesce around the same teams in the top 15. But in terms of Tennessee, I know they weren't very good last year. They would have missed the NCAA tournament, but I trust Rick Barnes. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that, consistently you know overachieves makes the NCAA tournament and talent wise again you know they bring back I think four starters they bring in two five-star freshmen they had Oregon transfer Victor Bailey sitting out last year uh EJ Anasicki a grad transfer comes in so they're going to have a an eight nine man rotation that you know it's that's kind of the ideal number of players you want you don't want to go you're not going to go 11 12 deep 
come February and March. You want that kind of tight seven, eight man rotation. That's what they have. And, you know, the, the guy who I think that, you know, he, he wasn't a top 10 recruit coming into college, but everyone is raving about Keon Johnson, the freshman um, freak athlete, but, you know, talking to people in the SEC, there's a ton of buzz about him. And, you know, I did newcomer rankings uh, that comprised freshmen and transfers uh, a couple of months ago, or maybe a month ago. And originally I had him kind of in the twenties and, and, you know, talking to people in the SEC, they're like, no, no, move him up. And then I checked with an, an NBA guy and he's like, you're too low on him at 14. And I was like, really? He's like, I'm telling you, he's going to be a top 10 pick. And so it's just the, the buzz about him is, is just very, very positive. And to me, you know, if he can come in and be a, a top 10 pick or, or somewhere thereabouts, I mean, now you're talking about four returning starters plus him, plus Anasiki on the inside. I just think it's a really, really good team. And again, I just think Rick Barnes is a good coach. A lot of positives to look forward to, to see what happens this season. But we're two weeks out from the start of it, and the virus concerns obviously speak for themselves. How would you gauge the confidence level from coaches at this moment? There's a lot of concern. Um, it's, it's, it's not funny, but interesting. You know, back in August, it seemed like, you know, college basketball was, was kind of pointing at college football and saying, look how disconnected they are. Every conference for themselves you know, where's the NCAA on this? And, and then when college basketball came out, to, uh, November 25th, we're all starting. It seemed like there was kind of a, a singular goal, singular road that we were going to take to the start of the season. And now, you know, college basketball is having some of the same issues that football had with, with different conferences having different protocols and, you know, non-conference games getting canceled already and, and things like that. So there are a lot of issues. And it's, you know, there, there's kind of a, a thought that, you know, if there was enough money and enough you know, I don't really know what the word would be, but but being able to bubble every conference would have been ideal. And I think a lot of coaches realize that. But, you know, the infrastructure is probably not there. The money's not there uh, for every league to do that. So we're going to have to go through this and, and try to get 27, 28 regular season games in. But, you know, talking to coaches, they're expecting, you know, 16 to 18 games. And that's kind of a, a hope and op an optimistic goal. Um, it's just, it's, it's going to be hard, you know, especially, you know, maybe the kind of the non-conference events where four teams are going to one site and staying in one place and getting a few games. And I think that's going to go fine. I think when you get into conference play and it's, you're traveling around flying two times a week, you know, in the ACC and, and big 10, that's not going to be an issue. You're chartering everywhere. It's fine. You know, every conference, every team can't charter. So they're going to be flying, you know, along with the general public. And I just think the, the more you do that, the, the greater the risk is of, of a player, you know, catching the virus. And, and in football, I mean, you've got 30 guys inactive and still have a game. In basketball, you have three guys out, and now you're playing with eight, nine guys. It's just – it's harder. And, and so I think a lot of coaches are concerned. I do think we're going to have an NCAA tournament. I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know when we're going to get there. Um, but I do think we're going to have some sort of NCAA tournament to end the season. And if we have that, I guess, you know, you can call it a success. But there's just a lot of questions and concerns about what the season is going to look like. What do you think this all means for mid-majors? It's, it's tough. I mean, part of it, part of the non-conference for mid-majors is kind of having some chances to get some, you know, big time wins that could kind of boost your at-large resume and, and, you know, maybe give the, you know, the, the mid-American or the SOCON a chance to get two bids. And, and this year you're not seeing a lot of that um, because, you know, it seems like a lot of these, um, you know, uh, MTEs are, are kind of high majors playing high majors and, you know, Baylor's playing pretty much every top 10 team. Gonzaga's playing every top 10 team. Um, so it's, it's going to be harder for these mid-majors to boost their resumes. And, and the other thing is that, you know, come Selection Sunday, 
you know, a lot of these schools are only playing four to six, four to seven non-conference games. So a Big Ten team that is going to be playing 18 league games or whatever they're playing, you know, suddenly, you know, if they finish two games below 500 and they don't have any of those bye games in non-league, they're going to end up, you know, going maybe, you know, 12 and 13, 12 and 14 heading into selection Sunday. Can the, can the committee take a team like that? Um, so I think there's going to be a lot of, a lot of interesting kind of debates we're going to have towards selection Sunday, because, you know, Northern Iowa could go 24 and three and you're going to be comparing them to a, a 12 and 14, you know, I don't know, Arkansas team, not saying Arkansas is going to go 12 and 14, but you're going to have those debates come selection Sunday because you're not going to have these buy games that these high majors usually have to kind of, uh, pad their record. Well, that's your with, the big, with the Big Ten. I mean, you're talking about a, yep. a league that could could justify having ten teams in the NCAA yep. tournament, and one of those teams that's on the fringe is probably going to be around 500 because of the depth at the top of this league. Yeah, I mean, the issue. I remember when when kind of the 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 NCAA rules came out on hey, you can play 27 or 28 games. It has to be 24 or 25 plus an MTE. I had Big Ten coaches saying, well, hey, we got you know, we're, we're going to Maui or we're going to whatever. We're playing three games there against high major teams. We're in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. We're in the Gavit games, which obviously they're not the Gavit games anymore. But they were saying, hey, you know, we look at our schedule. We're playing 25 or 26 high major opponents out of our 27 or 28 games. That's going to make our record look brutal. Um, and, and so it's, you know, there are, like you said, there's going to be teams that are entering Selection Sunday with kind of a below 500 or 500 record. And, you know, we've seen the committee in the past take teams that are two or three games above 500. You know, will, will they kind of make exceptions this year and go a little bit below that? You know, I don't know. And, and so I, I do think that while mid-majors won't get the chances to get those kind of big quality non-conference wins, if they could pad their record and, and kind of enter selection Sunday 24-2, and 25-3, you know, they might have an edge over a 12-14 and 14 Minnesota team or something like that. You're already mentioning Selection Sunday and March Madness, which is way further ahead than my mind was at. But I would love to know your way, way too early Final Four. Um, ooh. Um, all right. So I'm going to go – I don't want to go with my preseason top four because that's boring. But I will take the preseason top three because I do think they're kind of head and shoulders above, above everyone else. So that's Baylor, Villanova, Gonzaga. My fourth team, I'll go – I'll go Illinois. Um, I'm not picking them to win the Big Ten. I actually have them third in the Big Ten, I just think the kind of makeup of their team uh, kind of lends itself to having March success. Uh, you know, Io, Io coming back in the backcourt, Kofi Coburn coming back in the front court, Adam Miller, I think, is a stud freshman. I think he can go get his shot whenever he wants. Andre Curbelo, um, a kid from out here in New York, I, you know, I think he's a stud. So they're, he, Brad Underwood's got a lot of pieces, and, and this is a team who they had at times last year they struggled to score, and Io had a kind of rescue them late in games sometimes. Now you have more offensive firepower. I do think they're going to be an elite defensive team again or a very good defensive team again. And so I, I just think that, you know, the pieces they have and, and the experience they're bringing back. And I don't know. I, I just – I think that the makeup of their team is, is good enough to make a Final Four. And, you know, like I said, I don't want to pick my top four teams because that's boring. So I'll go a little lower and I'll go with Illinois. I just, I just like the way they're made up. We have already had a lot of top impact transfers decided now that waivers have been decided by now or appealed and decided they're being handed out left and right. Who are your top impact transfers in college basketball for this season? I think Olivier Sar, I, you know, like I mentioned, I, I think that, um, you know, it, him entering the fold for Kentucky, I think it just, it immediately makes them a, a top five team nationally. Um, you know, I think Sam Hauser at Virginia, 
Uh, I think there's a, a case to be made that he's the preseason ACC player of the year. Uh, I know that's kind of a, you know, maybe a kind of lofty expectation for him, but I do think that Virginia, you know, they're always going to play defense like a Tony Bennett team, but last year they kind of lacked that offensive firepower. Now you add him who I think he had 15 and seven from Marquette two years ago. He could shoot it. He's a mismatch problem. So I think he's kind of the, you know, the type of player who can, and can turn Virginia from, you know, top 15, top 20 team into a final four threat. Um, I, I think that it has to be mentioned that transfers or at least grad transfers have maybe not made the expected impact that we've seen or that we've expected um, um, from players. You know, Kerry Blackshear last year, I know I was a victim of this. I, I called Florida my preseason favorite uh, to win national title last year. That came far from working out, although because there was no NCAA tournament, I could still say that might have happened. Um, and so, you know, the expectations, I think, on transfers have been maybe a little bit outsized. Um, but, you know, like I said, I think Hauser, Saar, I think Carly Jones for Louisville. Um, there's a ton of positive buzz about him um, coming out of the ACC. You know, I, I think they're, you know, he was the Big South player of the year. He's experienced. He could score. He could distribute. And, you know, Louisville's got a ton of injury problems right now. So he's going to have the, his ball, the ball in his hands a lot. So I think those would be the three um, that I think should be making kind of the biggest impact of any transfers. Jeff, one league that we have not talked about is the Pac-12. And it looks like the trajectory of this conference is in the right spot. You almost, I think about what life would be like under normal circumstances. Of course, the league looks like it's back heading in the right direction and we've got everything going on with COVID-19, but there's three Pac-12 teams in the top 25. You've got Arizona State and what Bobby Hurley's done. He's got a good core back at 18. Oregon at 20. I assume LJ Figueroa, when he you know, is immediately eligible, that only adds to what the Ducks uh, have and then you've got UCLA actually at 22 I thought they actually were a little bit low compared to what I thought they might be who do you like out of these three the most so right now I, I would pick Arizona State but as you mentioned if LJ Figueroa gets the waiver I think I'd probably put Oregon over the top but I, I do think that kind of the general storyline the general narrative enter the season is that this is not the Pac-12 of a couple of years ago when we're talking you know two three teams the league champions going to be playing in the first four. Like, you know, I don't see it coming to that. Like, I, I think they have three legit top 25 teams. I think Arizona State, you know, they have as much offensive firepower as anyone in the country. Uh, you know, Remy Martin coming back, Josh Christopher coming in. You know, Marcus Bagley, the freshman, people are raving about him as, you know, immediate impact, one of the, the best players in the, in the Pac-12 type of impact, which is, you know, great for them, obviously. At Oregon – Dana Altman just does this every year. He, he kind of reloads transfers, um, you know, international players, you know, guys that come in late and Folly Dante came in last August and, and, and was a kind of a, an impact player for them. So he just does this every year. And like I said, if Figueroa gets eligible, their perimeters is going to be great. And I, I think just the way he, he has his system where, you know, it just, you kind of plug guys in and, and, and the train keeps moving. Peyton Pritchard, obviously a huge loss, but I think Will Richardson is, is ready for a breakout year. UCLA, I mean, they finished playing as well as anyone in the country uh, last year. I, you know, there were some questions on, on, hey, can Mick Cronin recruit at the level that UCLA fans wanted to recruit? Can he kind of bring in his kind of grinded out half-court system and appease the UCLA fan base? And, you know, right now the answer to both is yes. Um, he got, you know, five-star Dacian Knicks, who obviously opted for the G League pretty late in the process, but he's got a, two really good recruits in the 2021 class. And and so I think he's he's – having success out there. The question is, you know, after those three teams, what happens? Um, Stanford, I think, would have been a legit league title contender if Tyrell Terry didn't leave. 
but they bring in Zaire Williams, top 10 freshman. You know, they bring some guys back. They were a borderline NCAA tournament team a year ago, and I think they were the best defensive team in the league. So, you know, I think that's for surefire NCAA tournament teams. And then you're talking USC, who brings in maybe the, the second best freshman in the country. And Evan Mobley, you have Arizona, who, you know, Sean Miller just he generally gets it done no matter who he has. They have a ton of international kids, a ton of transfers. So that might be another team that, that takes some time to mesh. But, you know, we're talking five, six, seven teams um, that could hear their name on Selection Sunday. It probably drops down to maybe five, you know, when, you, when it really comes down to it. But like I said, I mean, this is not going to be a, you know, best team in the league. It's an 11 seed in the NCAA tournament. I think they're going to have three legit top 25 teams all year long. Jeff, your must-watch game on opening day of the season on November 25th, or I'll give you leeway. Thanksgiving's got a lot of great matchups or into the weekend as well. <laughs> I'm going I'm to go with the original question. I think it was, uh, what is it, Villanova's playing – who's playing Arizona State, Villanova or Baylor? Baylor's playing Arizona State after right. Villanova plays Boston College. All right, so I'm going I'm gonna go with, with Arizona State-Baylor. Uh, that's on opening night, right? Yep, on ESPN. Yeah, I should know that. Um, and, and it's at Mohegan Sun where I, I might be going. So I should probably, you know, I should you probably keep time. myself I, I should keep myself updated on that. Um, but, yeah, I'll go with Baylor, Arizona State. You know, we, we've talked about Arizona State, just, a, a, you know, an elite offensive firepower team. They're going to play – try to play fast. They're going to try to play hectic. Um, Baylor is probably going to play more in the half court. But, you know, if you want a, you know, maybe the best offensive – perimeter in the country against maybe the best defensive perimeter in the country I think it's Arizona State and Baylor and I just think that that's going to be a really fascinating game I mean, you know is Baylor as good as they were a year ago is Arizona State ready to take the next step um, I, I know we all like to kind of take big huge narratives coming out of one game in a condensed calendar and I think you know I think we're going to have some answers after that game and, and I think that just to me that's kind of the most intriguing game obviously you know I wish Baylor and Villanova played on opening night but uh, we're gonna have to wait a day for that can I throw in two fun ones while we're talking about opening night? I have two games that come to mind. I want to get your instant reaction. Maybe you got something. Okay. All right. So Creighton is going to face South Dakota State. South Dakota State is good. I mean, that's a team. They have a really good core of players back. I was pretty sure they were heading to the NCAA tournament last year, and they welcomed virtually everybody back. And obviously Creighton is, is number 11 in the country. They lost Tyshawn Alexander. Everybody's wondering, are they – good enough to be in the upper echelon of teams i think we'll we'll find something out and then i have another game and yeah. look you go ahead go ahead yeah i was gonna say you know south dakota state is it's one of those teams where they just have a a a tradition of success um you know they've had coaching changes they've had personnel changes and they keep winning um and it's a team like that who who has some continuity from year to year who might be you know better suited for the start of the season than some of these per conference teams. And Creighton brings a lot of players back. They've had some injury uh, issues already. They've had two, I think two guys tear their ACL and are lost for the yeah. season already. So, you know, there are some questions about Creighton. I mean, is what they did in the final month and a half of last year, was that kind of lightning in a bottle? Or are they legitimately a top 10 team nationally? You know, I, I'd lean toward them being legit and, and being the best team in the Big East behind Villanova. But again, I mean, they're going to have to kind of bring in some new pieces. They have some big guys coming back from injury. So there are going to be some things they have to kind of fine tune as the season goes on in South Dakota state. Like I said, they're kind of well positioned to well positioned in this kind of condensed calendar. Uh, it's kind of hit the ground running when the season starts. Okay. And then I'm actually going to stay in the big East. Cause I think this is another big East team that you, you staying in the big East. I would never, I would never think that <laughs> I'm staying on this one because I think it's an interesting game. <laughs> 
And talking to Kevin Willard, he's, he's concerned about the game. Seton Hall is playing in Louisville. Now they're going to play Louisville. That's, that's the biggest reason why they set up this, this MTE to get into it. But Jeff, before they play Louisville on opening night, you know, Bryce Aiken has not been cleared for practice yet right. over in New Jersey. They're going to play Winthrop. Winthrop is being viewed as a, as a team, a mid-major that has to be on people's radars. And Willard told me they welcome back four of their five starters. They're loaded up with experience. That's another, that's an opportunity for a mid-major to make an opening night statement. Yeah, I mean, that, that Louisville MTE is is kind of loaded with really good mid-majors. I think there's at least four kind of mid-majors in that in that event that are going to be probably the favorites or the second favorite uh, in their league, and Winthrop's one of them. Um, you know, they're probably going into the season with the expectation of, hey, we're an NCAA tournament team. We bring back four guys, bring back four starters. Um, Pat Kelsey seems to always be on the precipice and, and bring his team to 20 plus wins to the, to a, a conference title game or the NCAA tournament. And it's going to be the same deal this year. And, and Seton Hall, you know, when you have to replace Miles Powell, you know, I know they're bringing in talented pieces and they have guys coming back, but you know, it's not just Miles Powell. I mean, they lose Quincy McKnight, they lose some other guys, Ramar Gill inside. Um, so they're going to have to, um, you know, if Bryce Aiken's not hundred percent ready, suddenly they're leaning on some guys that maybe they didn't think they'd be. Um, so that's going to be a game. I agree. That's, that's kind of a, you know, I know I mentioned that there's not a ton of opportunities for mid-majors this year, but the Louisville MTV, MTE has a lot of opportunities for mid-majors and Winthrop against Seton Hall on opening night should be one of them. All right, yep. Jeff, before we let you go, little 19th hole here, the Masters is this week. What is the Augusta National Golf Club of college basketball? See, it's tough because part of the, the mystique of Augusta is it's like this um, very classy, kind of quiet, secluded deal. And the best arenas in college basketball aren't quiet, secluded uh, operations. So, you know, I've never been to Fog Allen, so I can't, I can't discuss that. I do think Cameron Indoor was kind of a, uh, you know, a bucket list item um, for a lot of people. Um, as someone with New York bias, I still think Madison Square Garden has some juice when you get a big game. Um, so I, I just, it's, it's a tough question, uh, just because it's, it's a very, uh, you know, Augusta, you know, like I said, their mystique is that it's just this, you know, inaccessible, um, type of course that it's very hard to get into and very exclusive. And the best college basketball arenas are the ones that are rocking with 20,000 people on game day. So that's a tough question, but I do think kind of, uh, Cameron Indoor, Fog Allen, um, are probably the two places that if you're a college hoops fan, you, you want to go at some point. Yeah. And I think. I was thinking about this, like what's, what would draw the, um, the sunglasses and kind of the, maybe if it's more of a preppy crowd that would be engaged with college basketball. And we kind of saw that last year when UCLA started to get good. Pauley Pavilion had some life to it, and it's kind of got this mystique about it being in L.A. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a place where everyone says, oh, you're never going to be able to get fans there. You know, you start the games too early. Traffic's too bad. Nobody cares. But you're right. I mean, when they're good, that place can that, – that fans like to go there. And, um, you know, if, if you can get some celebs out there, obviously Bill Walton would love to go there every game. So, you know, it's, it's – uh, when they're good, that's, that's a fun place. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, when you're talking about Blue Bloods, they're one of them, and, and Indiana's one of them. And, and, and we haven't seen those two teams toward the top of the rankings uh, in recent years. But I think both are, are top 25 caliber teams this year. And, and so I think you could see all – five or six of the usual Blue Bloods kind of be in that national conversation, which we haven't seen in a long, long time. 
Poly Pavilion, one of my favorite places in John, you know the story. Never there for a game, almost hit Mick Cronin with a Tahoe. We don't have to get into the details oh, today. But wow. You're just going to leave it like that? You're just going to tease the story and then bail on it. Wow. I almost backed into Mick Cronin, and then he popped up in the backup camera of the Tahoe that was rented, and he waved at me, and he has no clue who I am, but it's it's just one of the funniest stories. So I feel like he's, I, I, he, he's a coach that I probably wouldn't want to like back into. I mean, he's he's very intense and – you know, we've seen him on the sideline. I just, I feel like he's, he's one of the last coaches I want to back into with, with a car. He looks pretty happy in the rear view camera. Because <laughs> so. you didn't, because you didn't hit him. That's why. Exactly. It was a friendly, a friendly wave. So had to add that in there. I'm so glad you brought up Bill Walden as well. I hope he's calling games from a hammock in his backyard or something. <laughs> hey, every, everything's got to be remote now. So there's no better. There's no better operation than Bill Walton in a hammock or in the, in the kind of the TP that he has in his backyard. <laughs> Jeff Borzello, follow him at ESPN.com. He does great work. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, uh, you're at Mohegan Sun. And we might get a one – well, we might get a two versus three matchup between Baylor and Villanova in, in Connecticut in just the first week of the season. One, one versus two in my rankings, and that's what matters. <laughs> that's all that matters. I love it. Of Thank you, Jeff, for joining us today. And uh, hope the season treats you well. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thanks again to Jeff Borzello for joining us. You can follow him at ESPN.com throughout the year covering college hoops. All right, Jenny, it's time for our top tens here. Ready to go? I'm ready, and I'm excited to hear your top ten. Okay, so I can promise you, I made this about ten days ago. I was going through some stuff with a buddy, and came up with this, I actually did a full top 25, but here's what the top 10 looks like. So I have Baylor in the number one slot. And I understand that, that people are saying, you can flip a coin between Baylor, Villanova, and Gonzaga. And I understand that, but here's the thing about Baylor. Yes, the end of last year was, they were not playing their best basketball. But when you bring back a, a player as good as Jared Butler, you know, I love having a lock as an All-American. And, and you're going to see that theme in my top 10 because that's what wins in this sport. In this sport. I think for Baylor, the biggest challenge is replacing what Freddie Gillespie gave them defensively. But what I like is you've got Mark Vitale, you've got Tristan Clark, and here's my X factor physically for this team in, on the interior. Jonathan Shamwa-Shatua. He is a presence for them. He's long. He's aggressive defensively. I love what he can bring to the table, and I think he takes the next step. I think that on top of Butler, you've got Davion Mitchell, Massio Teague. This is a team in Baylor that defends the hell out of you, and they make you work for everything you get. I think they're going to be motivated at the fact that they did not end last year well at all, and so that only drives them. It only drives them into this year. I trust Scott Drew at the top. They're number one in my poll. Number two, Villanova. Now, that's, that's the thing. I made this about 10 days ago, so I did not have Gonzaga, who's number one, is going to be back to number three. But for Villanova, you know, they only lose Sadiq Bay, and that's a big loss. But they did not have a senior on last year's roster. Jay Wright, in an unprecedented offseason, didn't have to show his players how to play in his system. They already know how to do that. Villanova has an elite point guard in Colin Gillespie. 
They have a, a great senior in Jermaine Samuels. Then you talk about the sophomore class, Justin Moore, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And then I think the X factor is kind of Brian Antoine, you know, former highly touted recruit. What does he do in his sophomore season? But I go Baylor one, Villanova two. We talked a little bit about Gonzaga. Gonzaga's in my third slot. How did you do your top three? I had Gonzaga, Baylor, Virginia. I placed Villanova a bit lower than you, but I think I, I made similar points to you. I just believe that Iowa and Virginia have them beat in that, in that respect. Well, you got Gonzaga at three. For what reason? Well, I have Gonzaga at three um, – because the, the reason why is when you have a one-and-done player who's going to handle the ball and be that type of player in Jalen Suggs, who Gonzaga brings in, there's no question. Gonzaga can outsize anybody. They can out-defend a lot of teams. But for me, Suggs coming in, he's a one-and-done. We know, though, that one-and-done doesn't always equivocate to a great level of success. And look, I could look like a complete clown in two months when Jalen Suggs is dominating. But we know that in this sport, that one and dones can have a variety of ways in which they sort of pan out. It can kind of be a wave. And that's my worry with the Duke, the Kentuckys of the world that are bringing in one and done players after such a weird offseason. I think it only gets magnified if you have experience. But that's why I go with Gonzaga 3. And you know what? Here's the thing. I, I don't think of the Gonzaga Bulldogs as a mid-major. But Jenny, I'd be lying to you if I said the lack of marquee opponents throughout their schedule doesn't impact my thinking of them in the country. And well, and what I would love to know, John, is what do you think is more important in these scenarios? Because you mentioned young players coming in and you never know about how the one and done pan out. Do you think depth or experience will be more vital in this 2020-2021 season? It's a great question. See, here's, here's the thing. We've seen coaches win national championships with six, seven players. Jay Wright's done it a couple times recently. Virginia's gone with a seven-man rotation. To your point with COVID, you know, depth's going to matter. I'll always take experience, even in these times. I just, I just think it matters so, so much in this sport, and that's why I go on the side of the experience. But let's continue here. I have Virginia four. Uh, really not a knock on Virginia at all. I just have them in the fourth slot. Kihei Clark, as he goes, they're going to go. He's such a great facilitator. Yeah, averaged nearly six assists per game last year. So I look at the Cavaliers, and I see a team that's going to be better offensively than other Virginia teams. And that, that's why I have them in my final four, if you're asking me today. Number five, I'm all in on the Iowa train. They essentially have seven starters. They bring back... Jordan Bohannon, who was hurt last year. Jack Nunji, who was also hurt last year. But by injuries came others who stepped up in a role and found their game early on. Joe Toussaint, Brooklyn kid. He's a Brooklyn kid in Iowa City. Does it make a lot of sense? Not really. But the kid plays his tail off. He's tough. He gives them a, an extra dimension. And you have the best player in the sport in Luca Garza. You can't be any worse than in the top five when you got that player on your team. Iowa is number five with Wisconsin, who we talked about earlier, right behind them at number six. It creates a great Big Ten title battle. It's high praise for Wisconsin as well, which is a team that's kind of faltered in and out of these, of these top rankings over the past few years. And like you said about Iowa, which I would just love to add is, 
you have the, the preseason, you know, player of the year, he's, he's undoubtedly going to be the player of the year and you have all the pieces around him. And so you go down the list of the big 10, like we mentioned earlier, and you just have plenty of really solid programs, Wisconsin being one of them. Um, I didn't have them as high as you. Um, what I'm interested to see and what I would love to mention is that we're going off of such, it feels like a small sample size because we're so used to judging in the preseason polls, how teams perform in the postseason, in the tournament. I would have loved to see Wisconsin play in the tournament to see how they would have done and performed. Uh, I had them down at seven, but I think your argument is completely valid because again, it's hard to bet against them right now. In my seventh slot, I go with Kentucky. And the reason why I have Kentucky above Kansas and Duke is John Calipari has shown us that he has a great capability even and I would say today more so than Mike Krzyzewski that he can bring in young talent and they can flourish Kentucky may start slow on buying them in March and that's why they're ranked seven they might get off to a slow start because you only have one returnee from last year. It's Keon Brooks. But they bring in Olivier Saar from Wake Forest, who's a, a great big man. That's a really nice pickup for them. I'm, I'm curious to see what B.J. Boston does in anchoring this backcourt. It's going to be an all-freshman type of backcourt. You're going to see youth. And how that pans out, we'll see. But I think that John Calipari showed me that, look, we might start a little bit slower. We might get off to – might play some games where we're not looking at our best, but you can buy me late. And, and that's what I'm doing with Kentucky in the seventh spot, which brings me to number eight. I go with Kansas. You know, the loss of Dodson and Azubuki is certainly a, a concern. And then for the Jayhawks, they've had a unique offseason. I mean, the, the, the Bill Self stuff is hanging over them a little bit. I know it doesn't get discussed a ton. Uh, not that that impacts the team itself, but, you know, for Kansas – it is clear that Baylor's caught up to them and that Baylor's not going anywhere, which creates the unique dimension in the Big 12. Um, I wonder what David McCormick does for this Kansas team in the post, because everyone's just expecting him to take over for Azubuki down low. And he, McCormick started 17 games last year, so it's not like he's inexperienced, but it's a lot to ask for. Marcus Garrett, you know, he, he's going to be the ball handler for this team, but he's also going to be required to score the basketball fairly consistently. So when you look at, at this Kansas team, you know that Garrett and McCormick are kind of your backcourt, frontcourt anchors respectively, but then you've got Bryce Thompson, who's a recruit, Ty and Grant Foster, who's a JUCO transfer, and then uh, Agbaji as the wing, who's averaging, who averaged 10 points a game last year. But like for this Kansas team in the middle, they have a level of unknown. But for me, they are in the number eight slot. As I turn to number nine, Wisconsin, uh, Illinois. Illinois, almost got my Big Ten teams mixed up because there's three of them in the Big Ten. Illinois bringing back Kofi Coburn and Io DeSumo. It's huge for them. It, it's absolutely huge for them. This is a team that is going to be so fun to watch. Like, out of all the teams in the top ten, Illinois is probably two or three in terms of who do you like to watch the most. Brad Underwood runs a really fun system. I really love what's going on in Champaign. Illinois is number nine. And rounding out the top 10 after much thought, I still went with Duke. Ah. They're, they're in the 10th spot. Jeremy Roach, 
you know, coming in, that's, that's my concern. Like B.J. Boston is with Kentucky. But I do expect Wendell Moore to make a leap. I don't know about Matthew Hurt, but I do expect more. And I, I think that what we see out of this Blue Devils team in jo- Jordan Goldwire, who's back, people kind of forget him. I think he flies under the radar for them. And all signs are pointing to Jalen Johnson being one of the best freshmen in this sport and somebody who could take off on the wing for Mike Krzyzewski. I was close to going with Florida State number 10. I, I don't think they ever get enough credit, but I'm going with Duke. And I think for the sake of argument, it's going to create a fun dynamic here. Well, and I don't think you could guess my, my number 10 team, John, but it is Texas Tech. And I am going to argue wow. for it. Hey, hear me out, okay? I, I believe I that- I love it. Go ahead. I love Chris, it. I love it. Chris Beard has made Lubbock a destination for recruits. It's, Texas Tech has become such a fun program to follow for college basketball fans all over the place. They bring back Kyler Edwards. They've got a spark plug player in Avery Benson, who I love every time he checks in. And then Mac McClung, of course, um, which they just released a very funny video making fun of his fundamentals, and he, and he throws down a really great dunk at the end of the video. Um, he's just, they just have a really, really fun team. And let's not forget, they beat number one Louisville last year. Again, I'm not trying to put too much stock into what happened in the past because I feel as though you can't, you know, build what's going to happen this year based off of a select roster in a certain year. But that that is who I had at number 10. But otherwise, I think we we had the same uh, teams in one through nine, just a little shuffled around. I'll tell you what, I love that, Jenny, because I've been asked by a couple people who my final four, quote, dark horse would be. And every time I answer Texas Tech, because in Chris Beard, you have to trust. He's earned that trust. If I'm picking any three coaches on the planet right now, I'm going with Chris Beard at Texas Tech, Jay Wright at Villanova and Tony Bennett at Virginia. Yeah, we talk about experience mattering, but that's not just on the roster, it's in the coaching staff as well. And you have great leaders like this in a time where, first of all, you need good leaders off the court, but on it, especially this year. So I think that's completely valid. Hmm. I remember 2016, I was walking in the Pepsi Center for the NCAA tournament. Seton Hall was playing the last game of the day against Gonzaga. And you walk in and game two still going on when game three was supposed to start. So you knew, oh God, it's going to be a long night. Seton Hall might not be starting until about 10 to 11, which is true. They started like at 1030, 1040 at night on the East Coast. A little rock is playing Purdue. And Purdue wins in double overtime. Little rock played their tails off. And I remember watching little rock thinking, man, the guy on the sidelines for them is not going to be around there for long. It was Chris Beard. And now he's the head coach of Texas Tech. So, and what he's do- doing, I mean, if there's a guy nationally that you look at and say, oh, could he be an heir to somebody at a blue blood down the road if they didn't keep it in the family? Chris Beard would have to get an interview. He's that good of a coach. And you're right, he's made Lubbock a destination. Absolutely. And it just makes me think that I'm looking at my women's top 10 right now. Yeah, let's do it. Tons of good quality experienced head coaches are leading the way on my list, John. Um, And we'll start right at number one. I've got South Carolina. Uh, Don Staley's program only had one loss last season. They won 26 straight games. Uh, They obviously (laughs) lost Kigi, Herbert Harrigan, Ty Harris to the WNBA. I'm really excited about Aaliyah Boston. Uh, She won multiple Mm -hmm. accolades last year as a freshman. 
it may be a young group, but they show no signs of slowing down. That is a program in Don Staley we trust. You said in Chris Beard we trust, in Don Staley we trust consistently year in and year out. Yeah, I love, I love what they're doing with Aaliyah Boston. And the fact that she averaged nearly three blocks per game last year is really something. I mean, that, that really stands out to me what she does in the defensive end of the floor. But you think about, um, I like Bray Beal to take a leap for them. She averaged just six and five and a half last year. I think that turns into more of a double-double. South Carolina is a well-rounded machine, and they've got that three-headed monster with Boston, Beal, and then Cook as well, who gives them such a, an offensive boost as well and, and has the ability to, to go off at any moment, averaged over 12 points per game last year. John Staley has a machine. And at number two, I've got UConn, which, again, if you're talking about star-studded players, you can't ignore Paige Buchers. Huge storyline for an already storied program. They lost Megan Walker, Crystal Dangerfield, again to the WNBA. But you have Olivia nelson Adota who can dunk. I'm going to mention another dunker later down my list. Um, but again, just someone that you don't want to bet against in Gino Ariema's team. Interesting. Okay, interesting. I did not have UConn too. Uh, I went with Baylor number two. So let's see where you're going next. That's my number three. Uh, okay. And for this reason, so the 2019 NCAA champion, champions, I think, doubled down with a pair of impressive transfers from highly regarded Pac-12 programs. You got um, Dijanae Carrington, excuse me, and Jaden Owens from Stanford and UCLA, bringing back the defensive player of the year, D.D. Richards, who is currently recovering from a spinal cord injury. Um, and they return their leading scorer in Melissa Smith. I think Kim Mulkey's squad will be really, really good. The only reason I had UConn edging them is I just feel like uh, they bring back such literally one of the most top-rated recruits in the country that you just can't ignore what she's going to bring to the program. All right. Now, you don't have a Pac-12 team in yet. Is that four? You're really good at foreshadowing in this because, and I don't know that a lot of people will put them here. Um, I put Oregon at four. So okay. I, wow. All right. I, I do know that they lost four starters, Sabrina, Satu, Ruthie, Mignon Moore, but they added five top 25 ranked McDonald's All-Americans, five of them, the number one recruiting class in the country, plus a transfer in Taylor Makersell, sharpshooter from Maryland. Uh, you also bring back Aaron Boley and Taylor Chavez, two other sharpshooters, and you got 6'7", Sedona Prince, who regains her eligibility. She had transferred from Texas. Um, they finished ranked number two last season, and I think when Sabrina called it unfinished business and returned to play last year in hopes of winning a title, and despite her being gone, that unfinished business cloud, I think, looms over this program that has been knocking at the door for so long and has turned into a national powerhouse. So I have Oregon at number four and number five, another Pac-12 program, Stanford. Um, Tara Vanderveer always has a great program. They return Keanu Williams, their top scorer. And this is where I wanted to mention the dunker, Fran Belibi. When I interviewed her last year, she said, I'm not just the dunker, but people know her as the dunker. So we'll refer to her in that sense. There was just a video of her. She pump faked left. This was in practice, pump faked left. Uh, dribbled once and threw down a one-handed slam in practice. Um, she's only a sophomore. She is one of the most athletic players in the women's game this season, and I absolutely cannot wait to watch her. Yeah, I mean, for me, I had 
them just reversed. I had Stanford at four, um, and I actually have Oregon at number five, even though I really wanted to go with Louisville at five. But it can't be long until Jeff Waltz's team is in the top ten. I'm telling you, John, you're reading my mind. <laughs> I have Louisville at number six. And and they actually finished number six last season as well. Um, Dana wow. Evans is their centerpiece, ACC Player of the Year. They may have lost three starters, including two players to the WNBA and Shook and Jones, but they add Haley Van Lith and the reigning ACC Player of the Year. Um, that's going to be a great backcourt duo. And I just think that Evans did an interview where she said that she's been working on relocating off the three, putting herself at better angles to score off the ball, which would make her even more dangerous after averaging 18 points per game last year. And then I add NC State at number seven. Um, the ACC champs, led by Alyssa Cunane, who averaged nearly a double-double, 16.4 points per game. And they also add in other key pieces like Kai Crutchfield. Um, I just think Wes Moore runs a really great program there in Raleigh. And again, not one to be overlooked. Uh, at my number eight, again, I'm not sure most people would put them here, but this is where I'm putting them. Kentucky. Kentucky women's basketball has been on the up and up. Um, and we were just talking about Louisville. There will be no Kentucky-Louisville game this year due to scheduling issues. Um, but basically, Ryan Howard is the reason I put Kentucky at eight. The country's second leading scorer last year. And John, I don't know if you've ever watched her. She is a fun player to watch. She is crafty with the ball and she actually enjoys crafts like drawing and art. So I had to kind of insert that pun here, but she's sure to be a front runner for national player of the year as well. They add, they lose five seniors, but they add treasure hunt two other top 100 recruits to the list. And again, just think that they have a bit of an under the radar program, but I am not sleeping on them for this upcoming season at nine and 10. I've got Mississippi State at nine, Arizona at 10. Mississippi State was the SEC runner-up, lost two starters. They retained Rakea Jackson, who had a standout season as a freshman. And I want people to keep an eye out for Michigan State transfer Sydney Cooks. She stands at 6'4". I actually played AAU with her growing up, um, and I have always kept tabs on, on her college basketball career. And I just think she's an absolute force in the paint. She blocks the ball any chance she gets and they add a new coach in Nikki McCray-Penson, which of course was a bit of a shock in the coaching shuffle um, after Vic Shaper was there for eight seasons uh, and he left for Texas. But a new staff and system could bring another way of, layer of adjustment um, for what's been kind of a perennial powerhouse. But I, I do believe that they fit well at that nine spot. And 10, Arizona, Ari McDonald. She averaged 20.6 points per game, brought it on the defensive end as well. She was a finalist for the Naismith Defensive Player of the Year Award. Um, they return other key role players, and head coach Adia Barnes was also up for national coaching awards as well last year. And I just think they're, they're a fair way to, to round out this top 10. But, John, I would love to hear who you had, you know, in your bottom five. Okay. Uh, let's go here. Louisville is number six. NC State comes in at number seven. I think they ride the momentum from last year's ACC title. I think they've got a great front court. Number eight is a pick that probably others will not have in their top ten. I think it's one of the best backcourts in the nation. It's the Arkansas Razorbacks checking in at number eight. Uh, they have the fifth-year senior in Chelsea Dungy, who averaged nearly 17 a game. Then you've got Amber Ramirez, who can dial it up from three. And then the grad transfer in Destiny Slocum from Oregon State. 
huge, huge pickup for Coach Mike Neighbors. I'm going with Arkansas in at number eight. McDonald and Arizona are number nine for the reasons that you said while, while they're in at number 10. Uh, and then I've got UCLA um, in at number They were knocking at the door for me. They were, they were my honorable mention. They would have been my number 11. Four Pac-12 teams in the top 10. Go out west. Women's basketball, it's fantastic. On the men's side of the Pac-12, I think it's a very intriguing year. We talked with Jeff Wazell a little bit about that. So there are our top 10s. That was a lot of fun. And uh, we'll be ripping up these in no time. Uh, yeah. because that's just how college basketball can be. This, I, I'm all for anarchy. I'm all for madness. Well, and it's going to be exciting to see what actually happens because, again, in such an unpredictable last few months, college basketball is always unpredictable as well. And to, <laughs> to see what will shake out on the floor is, is going to be a, a, surely a fun thing to happen. Um, but, John, I think it's time we need, to, we need to tell the people what is going on in your world and your next steps. Well, thank you, Jenny. Uh, first and foremost, it's been a pleasure to be with you here these last couple of weeks as we've entered a, a new chapter on Full Core Press. And today, uh, while this, this is very uh, tough for me, it's sad because I really do love doing this podcast every single week. Today will be my last edition of Full Core Press uh, here on Pure Hoops Media. Uh, I am taking on a new venture to be announced actually later this week. Uh, so more news is, is coming in that regard, and I'm excited for what's to come. Uh, but by the same token, none of that would be possible without these last eight months working with the great people at Pure Hoops Media, uh, a network that brings in the best of the best basketball minds and personalities, and that's what makes it such a privilege for me to have been a part of this network. And I consider myself a part of the Pure Hoops family always. Uh, Bruce Bernstein, Mike Lieber, Eric Newman, all those guys, just fantastic to work with. And so I'm really excited to, uh, to continue to, to network with those guys to continue to, to, of course, Jenny, always be with you. Uh, even though I won't be here on the show uh, this season, uh, it'll be great uh, to continue to connect. And I know that you've got the show in good hands. So uh, more news to come on exactly what's happening. Uh, but I do want to thank the great people in our Pure Hoops family. It's been a, a pleasure and a privilege. And Jenny, I know you're going to keep this show rolling. And that's exactly why uh, when, when the guys asked, hey, who, who could be a co-host? Uh, I brought up your name first. And and did not know I'd be taking on a new venture at the time, but it makes me that much more confident because you always want to leave something in a better place when it started. And I know uh, the leaving it with Jenny Fisher um, and, and a co-host to be named uh, means that big things are in place. And that's all I would ever want. So I thank Pure Hoops. Uh, I, I thank our producer, Mike Lieber, and everybody in the Pure Hoops family. It's been, it's been one really special ride. Well, and John, I just want to say thank you for, for bringing me on board. Uh, presenting this opportunity to me was absolutely huge as someone who missed being within the college basketball realm uh, and just talking about basketball uh, once a week with you has, has really been great. And you're just always a class act. And I wish you all the best in, in whatever is next. So thank you. I appreciate that, Jenny, and appreciate everybody who's listened to the show. Keep listening to Full Core Press. And uh, as as uh, I will announce a new venture later this week in the podcast realm. Um, looking forward to you guys listening to that as well. 
this season, but uh, I always consider myself a part of the Pure Hoops family. I can't overstate that. This has been an amazing ride, and we've had some tremendous guests. I want to thank Kim Adams as well, who started out this show, and thanks to Jenny Fisher for uh, just being the best. She's making it look easy um, in this transition, and it's been a lot of fun. As we say, another episode of Full Court Press with Fanta and Fisher is in the books. Thanks again to Jeff Borzell for spending some time with us. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Tom Phillip ends the show. We really appreciate his contributions. He does a great job. You can check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure drop by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday, and I'll be back every Tuesday with Full Court Press. Stay tuned for news on my, on my next co-host, and we are excited about the possible new direction of the podcast. Please check out all of our shows, subscribe, download, rate, review, and most of all, enjoy. And we'll see you next week on Full Court Press. <laughs>